Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. And I would imagine for the rest of the week, Romans chapter 12. There are many, many truths in the book of Romans. It's a powerful, powerful book that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. In the first 11 chapters, we'll talk about this later in the message, but the first 11 chapters are very specific. And then we get to chapter 12, and we're going to kind of come off the freeway here on the exit ramp at 120 miles an hour and make a hard right turn. Uh, but I feel very, very specifically drawn to the truth here today in Romans 12. This will be the sixth message in our burden to explore what authentic Christianity is. I had someone come up to me with a complaint and said, Pastor, you talked about a message series, but we don't know anything about it. And I told them, I said, well, I'm sorry, you're right. And I'll get better as time goes on about explaining what it is we're doing. And so let me very quickly review with you these six messages in the exploration of authentic Christianity. The first, taming of the tongue. Authentic Christianity as it pertains to your mouth and what comes out of your mouth. I told the church family that was in service for that message, I preached that one first because that's the one that gets me in trouble the most. Taming the tongue out of James 3. The second was living through Christ's authority to forgive Power and purpose, the chief end of man was the third. And then the follow-up to that message, enjoying God forever. That if my purpose is to glorify God, uh, part of that purpose not, is not only to glorify Him, but to enjoy Him forever. And then our last message we preached out of the Authentic Christianity series, God's Plan for Prayer, out of Ephesians 6, equipping ourselves for the day and the age in which we live Today, our heart would be to continue to explore what authentic Christianity is according to God's word from Romans 12. And it's this thought that we will explore, life as a sacrifice, life as a sacrifice. And we really need to be reminded as we go forward as a church and even here in this series as we explore authentic Christianity, what real faith is we have to be reminded that it demands, if it's authentic, it demands to be defined by God's word, free of extra biblical nuance or personal adaptation to suit personal preference or fleshly desire. In other words, my faith, my hope, what everything that I believe in must be rooted in God's word. It can't be an emotion or a catchphrase or something that I have come up with in my own understanding or own ability to write some words down on a paper and say, well, that's what I believe because that's what makes me feel the best or what makes me feel right. Those emotions, those nuances, those extra biblical uh, phrases can sometimes damage a Christian. And sometimes people find that what they put their faith and their hope in was not biblically sound, thus it was not in God or even who Jesus was. See, authentic Christianity, uh, the benefit of that is that you understand who God is. Not a, a misrepresentation that culture would have you believe who God is. There's plenty in our world that lives in the existence online and personal opinion and higher education that really wants to redefine who God is. 
They really want to redefine what it means to be even a Bible believer, that certain elements of Scripture are up for interpretation. One of the most uh, radical fads that's happening right now is that the Old Testament doesn't really matter, that it should not be included in what the Christians process as the tenets of their faith, that when uh, the Old Testament was canonized, it was a mistake. It doesn't work now. The New Testament is beautiful because of what happens in the Old Testament as it points to the coming of Jesus Christ. Creation is vital for us to understand the world in which we live. I submit to you that that attitude and that approach to the Old Testament will send people into eternity without an understanding of who God really is. It is so very dangerous and a troubling trend. I go back in church history about 40 years and we can begin to see that there was a trend that started about 40 years ago where the American church, I say American very very, very specifically, the American church to whom much has been given began to restructure the relationship between the Christian and God and the Christian in the New Testament Bible believing church. They begin to swap around the order of how things are supposed to work. And the reason I say so specifically the American church is because there are many, many places on earth where this has not happened. Some of these places include South Korea because of the oppressive uh, dictator to the north with nuclear capability of whom they live in fear of every day. It keeps things in perspective very, very quickly. They want a really good understanding of who God is because when they go to bed at night, they want to make sure they understand the capability of who God really is. They're afraid for their life. This is an American Christian problem and it started about 40 years ago. And what's begun to happen is that the New Testament Bible believing, Bible preaching, Bible teaching church is becoming sort of an archaic thing that culture is beginning to openly reject. That if you preach the word of God from cover to cover, line upon line, precept upon precept, you are not culturally sound, nor are you relevant. And you should be removed from the conversation. That is the culture that we're living in. If I talk about what the Bible says about sin openly, it goes against everything culture wants the church to be. And so for us as Christians, the reason it is so important for us to go and inspect the foundation or the footers, if you will, of our faith is to know that what I believe is actually rooted and found in God's word and not an emotion or a thought or something that I heard that sounded good, but that I know that I know that my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ as described by God's holy word. That is authentic Christianity. It has to be defined by God's word and the relationship between God and his children. The expectation of that relationship has morphed. It's one of the greatest uh, threats to the church now, but it has morphed into what can I do for the Lord with my life? And it has become what can the Lord and the church do for me? How can I be served? How can I feel comfortable when I walk in the room? 
And what we have, ladies and gentlemen, is an entire generation that has been fed the lie that they must find a church and a version of God that makes them feel okay with who they are. That is absolutely the opposite of what the Bible says. When you walk into Trinity Baptist Church for service, my heart's desire is that it would be excellent pointing you to Jesus and who Jesus is and who God really is and that it reminds you of nothing that happens outside of these walls in the world. I don't want to bring the level of worship and intent down to where the world can feel comfortable. There should be such stark contrast between what happens in the world and what happens here in this sanctuary, this house of prayer. It should be excellent and there should be sharp contrast between the world. But our understanding of what authentic Christianity is demands it must come from God's word. And American churches especially are now full of people who are seeking the next experience. They're grabbing onto the next emotion. They're following the latest religious fad. And though it may be in ignorance, people say, I'm trying to get all I can from God. I'm doing this so I can get more from God. Or I'm, I've got these expectations of a, a local church that is almost like uh, I get to pick my appetizer and cold beverage that's served at the social club. And that's the attitude that we are training this generation to look at church in that perspective. And it is the opposite perspective which we must have. Your Christian life, listen to this, your Christian life is not dependent on what you get from God. Let me say it again. Your Christian life is not dependent on what you get from God. It's what you give to God that defines your Christian life. And according to God's word, if your faith is authentic, if this is more than you occupying a blue chair on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, if this is more than you updating your social media status to say, born again, believe in Jesus, love the Bible, if this is more than that, then authentic Christianity has a very, very defined definition from God's Word. It affects the way people view church. They evaluate a church on the basis of what they get out of it. They evaluate a church on the basis of what it delivers to them. That, again, is the opposite of what's necessary for an authentic Christian life. And really, it comes down to this. Do you want to live a life that's godly and useful to God? That's where this changes. That's where the interaction begins to change. Do you want to live a godly life for God and be useful to His kingdom? And if that's who you are, then authentic Christianity is defined by you doing something for the Lord, what you are and who you are. Let me read these two verses and it will become crystal clear to you how the Bible describes your life as a Christian. Romans 12, verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christian life as a whole, understand this, Christian life as a whole in its entirety, in its entirety, everything about me, everything about Winston Parish in its entirety is to be an act of worship. My entire life is to be an act of worship where I give everything that I am to God in an act of worship. And in that act of worship, I offer him my life. You see, we've taken the word worship and we have stripped it away and we have reduced it and we have made it something that it is not. We have told ourselves and we have trained our children and teenagers, this generation especially has a misunderstanding of worship, that worship is what you do when you're at church sitting or standing in front of a blue chair. And when the screens pop up or the red hymnal comes out and those words are the words you're supposed to be singing, that that is worship. That is a form of worship. Worship is an all-encompassing, all-transforming lifestyle of who I am. That means that everything from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, every day, every moment, every second of every single day of my existence is to worship my Creator. I was made with a purpose to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. And the action, the result of him saving me from an existence and an eternity in hell is that I would worship him and give him my life. My entire life is an act of worship given to God. You say, pastor, that sounds like a tall order. It is a tall order when you put it in perspective of your capability and your understanding. But thank God through these verses, we will find just what God desires from us. John 4, 23, these are the words of Jesus. I always pay attention very closely when it's the words of Jesus. He said, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God wants you to worship Him. God seeks after people who understand that their life is to worship Him. Philippians 3.3 says this, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and here it is, have no confidence in the flesh. All my confidence, all my peace, all my understanding, it is found in Jesus Christ. That's why when Charles Spurgeon said, when life pushes you to the very depths of your existence and you feel like everything is crushing around you and everything is falling apart, worship him there because my peace and my hope and my trust is not found in anything that I have anything to do with, but it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is my duty, it is my charge, to worship him in every aspect of life. You say you don't understand just how painful the situation is. God said to worship him from right where you are with your life, offering yourself as a sacrifice. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus 
Christ. If you're here today and you're born again, you're a saved Christian person, would you please raise your hand and keep it up? If you're saved, if you're a Christian, born again, on your way to heaven, no doubt, would you please raise your hand? That's almost everyone in the building. Wonderful, you can put it down. If that is who you are, if you're born again on your way to heaven and you understand your purpose in life and that your acts of worship is not just when you're here, but it is your lifestyle, then you must understand this, that every person that just raised their hand according to God's word is a priest offering sacrifice. You are a priest offering sacrifices according to God's word. So to understand biblically sound, authentic Christianity is to view the Christian as a priest giving offerings to God. That's what our Bible is telling us here today, that you are a priest. And we see in scripture here in this verse, Paul says a living and a holy sacrifice. How am I to offer myself as a sacrifice? Those words, sacrifice, holy, it's all familiar language to us, especially if you know the Old Testament. This is priestly language. It's sacrificial language. It's Levitical language. And it drives us back thousands of years to the Old Testament, the old sacrificial system. You must understand this to understand what Paul was saying and when the priest would come and put an offering on the altar to pay for the sins of Israel, this animal, it would be slain. The blood would run and this was what was necessary to pay for the sin of Israel. This was the economy of sin being paid for. This Old Testament sacrificial system. The economy. And now we find ourselves in a different system. We find ourselves in a more perfect situation. And every time one of those animals was sacrificed in the Old Testament, that's why the Old Testament is so vital. Every time an animal was slaughtered, it was pointing to the fact that there would have to be a more perfect sacrifice for God to be sufficed. There had to be more than an, a lamb or a turtle dove. And it pointed to the fact that Jesus was coming. This old system, it was the economy and it was payment that was accepted to cover sin. But it always demanded more. Every time. So these priests, they're offering dead sacrifices, not living sacrifices. And they were offering dead sacrifices every time. It elevated the need for Christ. And you and I, we're called on not to offer dead sacrifices. That system is gone. Praise the Lord, it was dismantled when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the veil in the temple was rent. The old sacrificial system has gone away and the sacrificial system of dead animals is no longer necessary because of one holy, precious, perfect lamb, the son of God, sinless in every way and his name was Jesus Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice that no animal would ever be able to even come close to touching what Jesus did on my cross when he became my sin 
to pay the sacrifice that was required to meet the justification requirements of a holy God who could not look on me where I was in sin. But because of the applied blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, I could see heaven. The sacrifice. And now there is a new kind of sacrifice. The new covenant. The New Testament. That's where we are. And it's a new economy for sacrifice. And it's a living sacrifice. It's not an animal. It's you and it's me. The sacrifice that Paul is saying that God now requires, listen to what I'm saying, is you and me. We are the sacrifice. And if we understand what he's saying here, Paul is saying you are the priest taking yourself, not in death, but in life, and offering yourself to God. And if you belong to God, if you are a Christian and you have authentic faith, This is an essential part of who you are as a Christian. And it is the supreme act of worship. That you would offer yourself and your life, everything about who you are to him as a sacrifice. Remember, the first 11 chapters of Romans has been all about the doctrines of salvation. All about what God has done for man. And now it comes down to you and to me and what our life is supposed to be. God's already done so much for you in your salvation. And authentic Christianity is not found in what you can get from God. When you got saved, you got everything you would ever need. Let me say it again. When you got saved, you got everything you would ever need on this earth. That's authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is found in what you give to God, what you choose to put on the altar as a living sacrifice to Him. That's how God works. That's how God expects you to live if you are authentically one of His. It's what he's always done. Remember that God was never satisfied, even in the Old Testament, with sacrifices of a dead animal from a sinful heart. Think about that. 1 Samuel 15.22 tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice always had a place. And it was always pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus that was coming. But God did not accept, nor does God want sacrifice from a dirty heart. He wanted a clean heart. We see God's anger towards sacrifice. Sacrifices given from sinful hearts in Amos 5, 22 and 23. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Listen to the language. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. God's saying here, when your heart's dirty, your sacrifice means nothing to me. When you sing and your heart's not in the right place for the sacrifice to be received, it's noise. I don't want to hear it. Stop. It's powerful. I will not hear the melody of the vows. He wants your heart. Not your lip service. 
Not empty words. He wants your heart. When you walk into this building, your heart should be one of a desire to be here to worship the living God. Not one of pitiful duty and miserable existence. But that my heart desires and longs to be here to worship Him because my heart and my life is on the altar of sacrifice to give back to Him because of what He's done for me. He wants your heart. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. Those are the sacrifices that God accepts, even back in the Old Testament. It wasn't the flesh and the blood of the animal. It wasn't the blood running. It was symbolizing what was on the inside of the heart. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And it was always the heart that was given to him on the altar that satisfied him, not the flesh and blood of the animals. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You know what the psalmist is saying? My praise, my desire to worship you from the heart must be equal to my sacrifice. You can do all the things that you think check the box for God. The phone calls, the cards, the visits, the attendance to be here, the teaching of a class, greeting, serving. Those are all wonderful things. But God says, if it's not your heart that I have, I don't want to hear it. I want what's on the inside, your intentions, your motivation. I want the reason for you to be serving to be because you love me, not out of some sort of duty that you can't stand to tolerate. It's the inside that God is inspecting in all of us today. A life of sacrifice. Not that I have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday person that never meets the people from church. But that Sunday to Sunday, I'm the same consistently on the inside with God because I want every day to be pleasing to Him as a sacrifice to Him. But now, since the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, these old sacrificial systems are dead. They've been terminated. And now God wants your heart. He wants your inner being. God not only wants it, but He demands it. It's part of who He is. If you belong to Him, He won't share you with someone else. He's a jealous God, but He's righteously jealous. And He wants all of you on the altar as a living sacrifice. You and I, through these scriptures, we're being called to be dedicated. That's what's happening here. Paul's reminding this church that if you love me, you love him, everything about your life is required. Everything is on the, the table. And American Christianity has made it so, li listen to me now, listen. 
American Christianity has made it so easy for you to pick and choose what you want to be a part of. I can come to church, I can tithe, I can be faithful to be there, I'll make sure the pastor sees me, but as soon as I get in the truck, everything will be different than what's in here. That's a sacrifice God will not accept. The content you are consuming at home has to be on the altar of sacrifice given to a three times holy God who sent his son to die in your place. What you drink, what you eat, what you watch, what you listen to, the places you go, all of it must worship God. How can you sit on a bar stool on Friday night and it bring honor and glory to God with the filth of what that lifestyle takes? It doesn't work. But American Christianity will find a place for you to make it work. But it's a lie straight from the enemy. God wants every ounce of who you are. Every fiber of your being belongs to Almighty God. Not just what's here on Sunday. He demands it. And to live outside of any of those ramifications does not glorify God with your sacrifice. And he said, I won't even look at it nor listen to it. It's strong. But if my faith, my hope, my trust is going to be secured to the ground, if nothing is going to be able to shake me from my faith, it must be rooted in God's word. This isn't about thus saith Winston or thus saith the Baptist denomination, thus saith the Lord God, that I want all of you as a living sacrifice. When you talk to your wife, it should worship God in the way you speak to her. When you love your children, it should be an act of worship to God for the treasure that he gave you in your child. And when you walk into this building to worship him, it should be from a heart that says, God, here I am. Use me for your purpose as I worship you for who you are and for what you are. This is what God wants from us. There are four components of living sacrifice. Write these down. We will explore one of these today. We will not get to all four. The four components of a living sacrifice is the soul, the body, the mind, and the will. And this morning we'll only go over the first. And may I add the most important the soul. The soul being given to God as a living sacrifice. The soul being given to God, the inner man, the thing that only God can see. The only way that happens is through salvation. That's the only way. Notice what Paul said at the beginning of this verse. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He called them brothers and sisters. These people were already believers, and now he is calling them to be a living sacrifice. You cannot replace the requirements of salvation with anything. There are no good works, good deeds, good measures, thoughts, or contributions towards God that suffice the need for your soul salvation. 
And if your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ is authentic, ye must be born again, period. There's no wiggle room. There's no maybe. There's no gray area. You must be born again. Bottom line. But before you can be a brother or a sister in Christ, before you can be called a child of God, you must first become a child. The Bible is very clear until a man surrenders to the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God and he becomes regenerated in Christ and repents of his sin and salvation enters in. Then and only then is he a child of God. Until that point, everything inside that man is against God and is a representative of the enemy of God. You must be born again to live a life that pleases him where you can sacrifice your life for him. And in the culture in which we're living, it will tell you the exact opposite. You're a good person. There's something great living on the inside of you. If that's not Jesus, that's a lie from the devil. There is nothing good inside men apart from the saving power of Jesus Christ. A local Charlotte area pastor got on a social media platform not too long ago and said something along the lines, as I paraphrase here, that once you meet Jesus or you have an encounter with God, that nothing really changes on the inside, that it's who you were all along coming out in a manifestation. That is an absolute lie because of what God's word says. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's a dead man that's alive and well because of what Jesus did in a radical encounter where Jesus Christ entered your life and changed everything about who you were. It's radical. And it changes everything on the inside. And if that's not what you have, it's what you need. From the top to the bottom. Everything should be an act of worship to God. But until your heart belongs to him, it will never, ever suffice. The soul is the first step to understanding what living in a sacrifice means. The soul. Jesus said, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Jesus is saying you can have literally all of the money, all the wealth, all the fame, all the popularity, all the peace and the comfort of this world. But what does it matter if you lose your soul? Then he asked the question, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Can I answer that for you today? There is nothing you have to offer him that will take the place of your soul salvation. You must be born again. And there's so many things floating around on social media and religious TV and you put whatever you want there, self-help books and magazines and men that stand in pulpits that call themselves preachers that have no understanding of God's word and it is destroying people. 
And for us as a church, if we're going to be salt and light and be effective and be useful for the cause of Christ in these last days, then every man, every woman, every child, every deacon, every choir member, every finance committee member, every young adult, every teenager must know that their faith is authentic because it's found in God's word, not in an emotional experience. You must know that if you were to die today or the Lord was to come, that your eternity is secure in heaven because of what's in God's word, not because of a card that you signed, not because of a tear that you cried, not because of a t-shirt you received after being dunked in a water source. It is the radical invasion of the Holy Spirit of God that regenerates a man from the inside and it's what God wants put back on the altar as a living sacrifice to him. But you can't give him back what you don't possess. And it must begin at the soul. The best part of this verse on the front end, my personal opinion, is these last words. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, by the mercies of God. And here where you see the word, therefore, is simply a transition. It's a transition. It's a consequence. It's a result of everything that's already been said. What has he been talking about in the first 11 chapters? What? Salvation. As a result of what God's done for you in your salvation, in your justification, in your process of sanctification, all those things come down to right here. All of it. By the mercies of God. We're not talking about a single mercy. He's talking about mercies, thank God, that are plural. What are mercies? Mercies are things that are given to undeserved people. That's mercy. Me receiving something that I did not deserve. The things that are presented to us, the things that are granted to us, applied to us, credited to us, which we do not deserve. And there are so many things given to me, accredited to me, applied to me given to me my God that I do not deserve and the greatest is my salvation. Based upon the mercies of God, we are to present our body as a living sacrifice and those mercies are all bound up in our salvation. The salvation of the soul and that's why it's the first point. And I pray today that as the word of God penetrates your heart, it's so biblical for us to know that we're in the faith, for us to examine where we stand with God. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't preach messages like this. It causes people to doubt their salvation. I would tend to one someone question something and get it settled and to sit here for decades and die and go into eternity lost and undone and spend eternity in hell away from God just because it made some people uncomfortable. The Bible says, no, that you're in the faith. And present your life back to God 
as a living sacrifice. Every head bowed and every eye closed in the building. Those watching online, I would invite you to get into a posture where you can pray. Turn off the TV, any other distractions. Put your cell phone on silent. Find a private place if you're at work and you have your phone. Take a moment now. Begin the process of allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work and examine you, the inner man. And today our heart's desire and our heart's prayer should be, God, I want to be an acceptable sacrifice with my life. Everything that I say, everything that I do, everything that I am, the way I spend my money, the way I love my wife, the way I love my husband, I want it to be a wonderful thing for me to offer God as a sacrifice. The Bible says that every good thing comes from the Lord. You're just giving back something that doesn't actually belong to you. But it's so necessary for us to view ourselves on the altar as a gift back to God for what he's done in our lives. If there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I'm struggling with this worship lifestyle that everything's on the table. There are things in my life I know that need to change, that maybe are not pleasing to God. And today I'd like to recommit some of these things back to God. Is there anyone here that would raise your hand? No one's gonna come to you, embarrass you. Say, Pastor, I've got some things to change in my life. God bless you, God bless you. Hands all over the building. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down. Many, many hands went up. I've got some things I need to change. I need to recommit all of myself to be back on the altar as a living sacrifice. Let me ask this question. Is there anyone here on the sound of my voice or watching online that could say, Pastor, when I allow the Holy Spirit of God to examine me, I go to the root of my faith. I cannot say with certainty that if I was to die today, that I would spend eternity in heaven. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you just raise your hand? No one again. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you, sir, for your faithfulness. God bless you, sir, in the back. Thank you. And put your hand down. Multiple children and multiple adults have raised their hand this morning. They need to be saved or they need assurance of their salvation. So here's what we're gonna do. Christians, I need you to lead the way. I need my deacons, my altar workers, my prayer team. I need you in the altar with me now. We're gonna pray for these who are struggling. The pastors are coming with their Bible and they're ready to show you what God's word says about salvation. Those that raise their hand, there's some things in your life you need to change. This is the day to put it back on the altar and say, God, I give it all back to you. Let's stand all over the building. Those that need to come do business with God, I want you to come now. Don't wait. Don't wait on your husband. Don't wait on your wife. 
come and do business with God. And let's allow the Holy Spirit of God to examine the chapel of our heart that we would all leave different today than the way we came. Brother Doug, you sing as we worship in prayer. gentle Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Christians, help me pray. There's some folks here that are really struggling this morning. How wonderful it would be to leave today with the peace to know that you know that you got it nailed down. There were many hands that were raised. I've got some things in my life that I need to change. Won't you come do business here in the altar with God? This altar is a place for you just to acknowledge that you need God, a low place. If you can't kneel, if you can't bend, these open seats here on the front row will do. We just want to pray with you. Christians, let's not rush. Let's take a deep breath. Let's allow the Holy Spirit of God to do what He can do. And let's pray. It's only 1157. We're here today because of the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit of God to change people's lives. Let's pray together as the Holy Spirit moves challenges our hearts. and sing.
Father God, thank you for the truth that we find in Romans 12, 1 and 2. God, thank you that you give us the opportunity, God, to participate in your kingdom, that we have access to pray, the great comforter and convictor, the Holy Spirit of God that moves, stirs and manipulates hearts, that draws men to himself. God, thank you for Jesus. Oh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice of the one perfect and holy lamb on my cross thousands of years ago, right outside of Jerusalem, as the Son of God became my sin, resurrected himself in his own power. That today in 2021, on a cool, brisk November morning, I can stand and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and have the assurance of eternal life through and by the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we worship you today. May these passages stir our hearts to live authentically Christian lives for you that represent who you are as living sacrifices on the altar presented to God as a reasonable service. Be with our children and our teenagers tonight as they meet. Be with our service at five o'clock as we dig back into your word and as we worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. I tell you what a powerful message. You know, it's not a suggestion that we present our bodies. If we want to be true, authentic Christians, we will present our bodies a living sacrifice. And for those of you at home watching, wherever you may be, and, you know, Pastor Winston said prior to chapter 12, it's all about salvation. You're not sure that you're saved. You know, a couple of chapters prior to that and in Romans chapter 10, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? If you'll just admit, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. It said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not saved or you're not sure you're saved, you can change that today, even where you are. You can pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner, knowing I need a Savior. Lord, I ask you, cleanse me of all the unrighteousness in my life, all the sin in my life, all the things in my past, Lord, all the things that hinder me from being close to you. I ask you, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I ask you to come into my life. Lord, I ask you to, to be Lord of my life. Lord, I want to do my very best to live the rest of my life for you, you taking full control. If you prayed that prayer this morning, there's going to be a number come up on your screen, an address come up on your screen, or an email. I want you to contact us here at Trinity Baptist Church. Let us know that you made that decision to be a follower of Christ. We love you. We thank you. We cherish you as you visit us, as you watch us, as you're a member of our e-church. Thank you. We cherish these moments together. You be praying for us as we're praying for you. We hope we see you tonight at six at five o'clock here, right back here at Trinity Baptist Church at five o'clock. God bless you.